Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is January the 9th, 2020, and we have, again, episode 2577 today. And I have one of my really good friends uh, about to be on the air with us, Nick Ferguson. I mentioned yesterday that he had these uh, new awesome deals out with fodder trees and uh, fruit trees and just some amazingly beautiful trees as well. And I realized that I'm probably not the one to tell you about all these different trees and what you can do with them. And I also realized that a lot of people are going, yeah, that's a pretty good deal. Those are some cool sounding trees, but I don't get it. You know, they're just trees. No, not only are they a heck of a deal price-wise, there's some really cool things about these trees. And I thought, if you didn't even want to buy a tree for the next two years, that it would be a, a cool show to go through all these awesome trees and what they do for you and what they can do and what they've been historically used for and talk to Nick a little bit about nurseries and plant propagation and even bounce an idea of mine off him for this uh, home-scale vertical farm that I'm trying to put together and keep the budget under 600 bucks for those that want to build that. So we're going to talk about all that more. Again, uh, the other thing with Nick is he's a prior member of the Expert Council and now a, a current member of the Expert Council. He went away for almost a year, not because I sent him away, because he needed to go make some dadgone money. And he went out on a big project uh, working in the safety era, uh, area of it and uh, you know did well for himself and his family. And now he's starting up this plant propagation business. So he's not just back to do that. He's back to do his consulting and everything else. And he's back to answer your expert counsel questions. So we'll have a little throw out there for content and questions for Nick Ferguson. If you want to know about plants, homestead, efficiency, permaculture design, gardening, livestock, especially goats and rabbits, you want to talk to Nick. And we're going to do just that in a minute. Before we do, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is Safe Castle Royal. If somebody asked me what Safe Castle is, is really, I'd say it's like, imagine if, if Walmart only sold stuff for your prepping. From the practical to the tactical and everything in between, you'll find it all at Safe Castle Royal. Loyal sponsor, the original Survival Podcast sponsor. Uh, this show is going to be 12 years old in June. I know that's crazy, but this is going to be tw our 12th year in June. That's why we've done friggin' 1,200 or 2,570-odd episodes here. Um, so we'll be 12 years old in June, and Safe Castle's been with us for as long as we've had sponsors, about six months in So, you know, 11-plus years now, Safe Castle has sponsored this show and stuck with us. And they actually offered to sponsor this show before I was willing to take them because I didn't have enough listeners at the time, and I didn't want to take their money and think it would be right. So check them out today, safecastle.com. Next up today, Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason, another loyal sponsor. I think came on board three or four months after Safe Castle did and has never gone away. Uh, everybody knows that water is key to your survival, and you want to drink the best water you can on a daily basis. Dollar on the dime, the best way to do that is a Berkey system. A little expensive starting up, but long term, it is the least expensive way to drink the best water that you can and make sure things that you know you don't want in your water aren't in there. And I'm going to tell you something about these boil water advisories. When the city comes out and says, you guys need to, to like boil your water or use bottled water or whatever... By the time they did that, you've already been drinking the water you shouldn't have been drinking. You have to be proactive with this. Berkey's the way to do it. 
Lots of people sell Berkey, but if you want to deal with the number one dealer in the country, the guy that's been taking care of this audience for 11 years, you want Jeff the Berkey guy Gleason, and you will find him at directive21.com. That brings us before I bring Nick on for my quote of the day. We're talking about trees today, and uh, trees are a big part of permaculture. Permaculture is a big part of my life, not just the trees and planting component of it and the agricultural and horticultural components of it, but the design science as a whole. And the other thing is a big part of my life is the concept that I'm anti-political. I don't, I don't really care about a person's politics until they try to force them on me. That, that's about the only time I care. And in fact, I describe myself as being anti-political. And I'm also very well known in the circles uh, of permaculture as a teacher and a speaker. And that gets me into trouble because there are a large number of people in the permaculture community. We call them purple breeders, myself, Paul Wheaton, Larry Santoyo, and some others, uh, that are not just left, but they're very, I guess, modern-day progressive hippie. Uh, and they, And I don't care. See, I don't care about that part. But they have this belief, for some ungodly known reason, that permaculture is only for them, or that permaculture is the way the way to do permaculture. You must be one of them. I don't get where this came from. And when I give you today's quote, maybe you'll understand. The founder of permaculture, I said the co-founder, because David Holgram, who, by the way, is an anarchist, just saying, before I even give you uh, the rest of this, but the, the guy that really got it off the ground, uh, is Bill Mollison. Uh, David was Bill's research assistant as he developed Permaculture 1, Permaculture 2, eventually the designer's manual, etc. Bill was the guy, the genesis of permaculture. Not to take anything away from David, who again, before I tell you this quote, David's an anarchist. Well, Bill left us a couple of years ago, and we, we those of us that knew even Bill by one level off, like I, I know his grandson, uh, knew it was coming before it did because he had just reached that point in his life where we all eventually get to. And he, he was the godfather of permaculture, right? I mean, really. And he left behind his number one protege, Jeff Lawton, who I would say is the master permaculturist in the world today. And we're fortunate to be able to work with Jeff. I'm fortunate to be able to call him a friend, and he, he is a part of our expert council. You can ask him questions. I came by, by this quote that Jeff, and he wrote this in a post, this is what he said, I have no political agenda at all and prefer the definition of permaculture design to be sedition, as did my permaculture teacher, Bill Mollison. Man, that's what permaculture is to me because what it is is it's not about let's get the government to fix a problem. It's let's use design science, lifestyle design, smart design, and natural living systems to solve problems on our own. And when you solve problems on your own in this day and age, this is as political as I'll get today, you are engaged in sedition against the state. The state doesn't want you to solve problems. The state wants you to see them as your solution. Permaculture fits for anybody's politics because it requires that you take permaculture and you use it to solve problems based on your ethics and your ideology. As long as you obey the three primary ethics and the prime directive, you can do that from any angle you want, but you have to do it. You don't get to make other people do it through the use of force, and that is one of the most seditious acts that you can take in one of the most positive ways 
in today's world. That's why I love permaculture. Now, permaculture isn't just planting things. But if you're going to do permaculture, I promise you, you're going to plant trees. And we're going to be talking about planting trees in some ways I don't think we've ever really talked about before on the Survival Podcast today. All right, folks, and with that, it is my great pleasure to welcome back to the Survival Podcast, freaking finally, Nick Ferguson. Hey, Nick, man, welcome back to the show. Hey, man. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been about a year or more. It's been, been a minute. But, yeah, you've been off slacking off, right? I mean, oh. you know, just like, you know, you went somewhere and lived under a bridge for a year or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I was uh, helping a buddy with uh, um, a very big project, multi-million dollar project, and enabled us to sock away a nice, nice old uh, chunk of change. And uh, I, th I think that's going to really help us to kind of snowball into more and better things in the, the next year or two. Awesome. And so you, you've been uh, a friend of this community a long time. You've been on the show. Uh, I, don't, I couldn't even begin to tell you how many times, both as a guest and an expert council member. But you hadn't been here for a year. Um, and I think we've probably picked up one or two listeners in the last year that might be listening and go, who's this Nick Ferguson dude? So before we get into what you're doing now with rare plants, give people a little bit about your background, like how you got into plants and permaculture and all that, and uh, kind of what makes plants the thing for you. Oh, man. Gosh. Uh, okay, so I uh, I grew up kind of in the city. I was I was born and raised in, in Dallas, Texas, and uh, I was homeschooled from the get-go. So my education was really... Uh, we did some kind of curriculum stuff, but it was a lot of unschooling before unschooling was even a thing. Um, it was a lot of interest-directed education. So, I mean, just from the get-go, when I was just a little kid, um, I was given the leeway and the assistance in learning about ecosystems and learning about plants and aquariums, which are miniature ecosystems that you have to get right um or else everything just goes haywire so i mean even from just a, a young age i i started uh, playing with ecosystems and and i grew up doing that and and doing that until i was in my college days and um i've since then been able to transition into full-time consulting and uh and helping people design their properties to to meet their needs for their families for um you know food production i do a lot of troubleshooting and and one of my favorite things is when people buy a new piece of property and they're wondering how how do i set this up this is what we think um i i can't tell you how many times jack i've stepped onto a piece of property i ask them to tell me their goals and their dreams and what I do is I put myself in their shoes and I help them craft a design and a plan moving forward for the next 10 or so years to get them there with what they have and um, with what they're working with. And I love, I love this. I can't tell you how many times this has happened. We, we walk around for 30 minutes And then I redesign it and we, we crunch some numbers and we find out in 30 minutes I saved them $30,000 dollars 
just in infrastructure and mistakes that they might have made. So that's that's kind of what I do. Um, and one of the big components of that is the trees and the, the plants and the bushes that we put into these ecosystems. They, they make up the structure of it. And they're the dynamic component. And, uh, and I love finding unique plants and, uh, plants that have been lost to history or that were used hundreds of years ago to, to meet a need that have kind of gone by the wayside because people don't use those anymore. Like, for instance, there was a, an amazing plant. I know, I, I think I got you one of these, the Hicks Everbearing Mulberry. Um, this was popular back in the 1900s, early, early 1900s and 1800s. And, uh, and farmers used it to feed hogs and chickens in a big way. And in the South, the Hicks Everbearing will, will drop fruit for four to six months out of the year. And we'll feed multiple pigs off of one tree just with mulberries. They produce so stinking much that you can, if you use these in your, in your ecosystem, in your, your hog raising operation, you can feed your hogs for free. And that, that's huge. So, um, that, that's kind of my, my jam. That's, that's the thing I love doing is finding these ways to incorporate trees into homesteads and farms and people's ecosystems to meet their needs for free. Because the more resiliency that we can add into these ecosystems with these plants, the more, um, the more financially secure and wealthy we can make people. So, um, you know, that's, that's what I've been doing for the past 10 years is, is that and trying to track down these, these rare plants that have almost been lost to, to time. And I'm actually developing some myself. I have one, uh, one black mulberry that I'm really excited about. Haven't had the fruit off of it yet. I'm hoping I might get some fruit, um, this year. I almost lost it, but as a testament to its hardiness and resiliency, um, I thought it was dead and it came back. I have three shoots off of it. So it might take me another year before I get fruit out of it, but we'll see. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the nutshell. So you and I have talked over the years and I know you've always really wanted to be in the plant business. You've been in the consulting business. You've, mm-hmm. you've propagated a lot of plants. The, the first time I ever met you, you brought me two things, plants and beer. Right. It's like you, you, you knew your way into the Spearco family really, really well from your homework. Um, but we've talked about you setting up a nursery, you setting up a plant business for years. I've consulted with you on that on the business end. And yep. I think what it's really been is you haven't really had the startup capital um, and or sufficient cash reserves to like go at this a year and really give it hell. And now you do because of the the, the job you just came right. off of. Um, but at the same right. time, you need cash flow into a business. So we talked about that. And you can't go into a business like this and have a whole crap ton of inventory in 60 days. That's not how this works. Right. So we came up together with a way that you could get some customers in the beginning 
put together really great packages by doing yep. a really, really big, like, stupid bulk buy. Like, most people out there would just go, like, if I bought this, I, w I, I, I don't know what I would do with it all. And, and then kind of make that available and then use your knowledge to kind of package these. And, right. I mean, just to give people an idea, well, I'm going to go through the packages with you here in just a second. The first one we're going to go through, which is the Hardy and Healthy Fruit Duo, I just priced buying that exact same thing at Stark Brothers, and it's a bit over $100, bucks, and you're selling it for $65. Right. So, yeah, we want to, I said this yesterday, we want to support Nick, but Nick's like not out here going, hey, just give me some money for existing. Like, these are some really good deals, but let's go through them and talk about why you selected those and what they would do for people. So, first one seems pretty simple. That's the one I just... Priced on Stark Brothers, be about 110 bucks, 120 bucks on Stark Brothers. Uh, you're offering it for 65 bucks, about let's say half price. Uh, yep. Five Hanson's Bush Cherry, five Elderberry. Now these are plants I've talked about a lot over the years, but again, new people, etc. What do you like about these two plants, and what do they do for people? Well, uh, the the main things uh, that I'm I'm looking for in in my consulting, um, in all the work I've done, most people are They've got candles burning at both ends in the middle, and they're trying to get things established, and they need some good wins. They need some successes. They need some some plants that are going to be hardy enough to take a little bit of abuse or a little bit of neglect and not just kick the bucket. So I tried to pick two things that would produce a good fruit, um, be medicinal, that would meet the needs of most people, and I tell you what um, – If you're trying to make a go of it and you're working two jobs or a full-time job and a part-time job uh, and you're trying to get a, a homestead going, um, you know, having plants that are going to help you get that done by, let's say, the elderberry that's been used for hundreds and thousands of years to help people um, avoid getting the flu or colds. Or to get you over it quicker. I mean, elderberry is known for that for a long time. I think it does a fantastic job. And having something like that growing on your property where you can harvest it, make some jelly, make some wine, make some just tincture, anything, make some syrup and be using that all the time in cold and flu season, boom, you might save yourself getting the flu. I mean, I don't think I've had the flu in I don't even know how long, hmm. and we use that stuff daily through the cold and flu season. So, I mean, that getting down with the flu for a week, that, that'll put a, a hurt on your budget. So I think elderberry is fantastic for that reason. It's, it's hardy. It'll grow pretty much anywhere in the U.S. Same with sand cherry. Um, the Hanson's bush cherry, I think it's a fantastic tree. Um, produces a slightly astringent berry, but... That's actually kind of nice to have that uh, that different flavor profile in in a blend. Uh, if you're using it for brewing, or even if you're just making some jelly. Sometimes, like if you're making a, a blend jelly where it's uh, the Hanson's Bush Cherry and apple, well, having that little bit of astringency really really will make it pop and make it something special. So I think both of those are fantastic for both of those reasons. They're hearty, they're medicinal, and they taste great. Well, and I can tell you as a mead maker, they both make great meads. Yeah. Uh, and the Hanson's Bush Cherry mead is 
something really, really unique. And I've grown them here. I, and I'll be fair, I killed a lot of them, but some of them are alive. Anything that I can grow on this property that's not in a, a, a dedicated bed where it's cared for, that right. lives without irrigation, should grow almost anywhere. Unless you live in the middle of the Sahara or the Arctic, I bet you your soil is deeper than mine. <laughs> so it will probably live. And I have elderberry here um, that came from the same supplier you're using, by the way, that is you know four or five years old and is neglected as all. And it's still alive. So right. anybody with, like, I don't know, a foot of dirt before you hit a, a rock shelf, I, I think you'd be okay with these. So I, I definitely endorse the selection there. And just to be completely honest with the math, I went back to Stark Brothers while you were talking. I did the math to buy that exact package yourself for $65, bucks, $115 on Stark Brothers. So, yep. I mean, the other way to look at it is based on the pricing of the Hanson's Bush Cherry, You, somebody buys five elderberries from you in this package, they get the bush cherries for free. That's, right. That's how you can look at that. So let's move well, on. Because I, I think people get like oh, – go ahead. I think you well, I was just going to say you know, my, whole, my whole goal with this, uh, with this new venture is, is not only to, to bring you amazing, unique, and rare, cool plants that are going to you know, meet the needs of – of anyone who's trying to get something like this going. Um, but, you know, when you price this stuff out and you're buying one-offs or you're buying just a couple retail, man, you that gets really, really freaking expensive. Yes. And, you know, for someone that's that's trying to get a new homestead going and, the, and they're trying to get a whole bunch of fruit in the ground and fruit trees and fruit bushes and they want to get a berry patch going – When you price that out, it's it can be thousands of dollars. And what I'm trying to do is make it so that, you know, the the homesteader, the farmsteader, whatever, um, that that person can come and get kind of one stop shopping and get a package deal that's going to cost them. I'm I'm shooting for half as much as normal retail. Awesome, man. So let's let's move on to your fodder trees because you were talking about how we can feed livestock with trees, and I don't think a lot of people are aware of that. Um, you shared some stuff on Tree Hay recently on the Regen Ag Group. I don't know if you yep. saw I commented back. There's an episode from Wartime Farm where they talk mm -hmm. about that concept as well. This was something everybody knew about up until about 1950, and like yep. no one knows about today. And there's some trees that will do this that I pe think people like kind of don't really focus on. So let's move on to your fantastic fodder tree package. This is what you have there. Four hybrid popular, uh, three white mulberries, one weeping willow, and a false indigo as a nitrogen fixer. So let's start out with what makes these trees good fodder trees. And let's also talk about what makes them just really great trees. Right. Okay, so, um, so both the hybrid poplar and the white mulberry have quite a bit of even white paper level research done comparing them and contrasting them against alfalfa meal and soybean. Um, and and they stack up and they hold their own against alfalfa and soybean meal. And that's a huge, huge deal <laughs> to to be able to replace those outside inputs uh, with food that you grow on your own property. I mean, I know most people don't get into – the spreadsheet analysis of what it costs them to do what they're doing 
like uh, like you and I do, Jack. But when you crunch the numbers on animal feed for a year, and and instead of all that money leaving your pocket, you're you're growing that yourself. It compounds and it grows and it grows and it grows. That's a lot of money over the course of ten years. That's that's thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that is literally building fertility and wealth on your own property. I I don't think most people understand how how big of a deal growing fodder trees is, especially when you're talking about um, trying to build a healthy ecosystem. Well, and I can speak to uh, Weeping Willow. As you know, my wife, Weeping mm-hmm. Willow is her tree. She just loves the tree for itself. So I have a couple on this property, and they've gotten pretty big. And if you go outside, you know, in the springtime, because right now the leaves are off them, you go out in the springtime, my weeping willows come, unlike my neighbors that go all the way to the ground, they come to like, you know, a foot from the ground. Mm -hmm. And then if you go out there in midsummer, you would think they would be further down. No, they come like two foot from the ground. (laughs) And, And by late summer, when all my grass is brown, because of the, you know, there's the weather in, in my area, they're about 40 inches from the ground. Right. Do you know what 40 inches is? About how high a duck can jump up. <laughs> about how high a duck can jump up. And I mean, it looks like somebody went out there with an electric hedge trimmer. Yep. And because that's, that's exactly what it is. It's about as high as a fat duck is willing to jump. <laughs> and, and you will see them like right before the fall rains come and everything greens back up. Standing out there, jumping and pulling on those leaves and eating them, so I don't even have to, you know, I don't even have to feed them to them. Yep. They just graze off, and then, the, you know, as the tree grows down, they just keep it right at that level. But of course, if I really needed more feed for them, I could easily go out there and 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 cut that. And the beautiful thing with all these trees is they grow back. Because the other thing I want you to kind of talk about is I think people think about like, well, a hybrid poplar, and they think about this really tall, narrow tree. Mm-hmm. And they think, well, how am I going to feed my animals with that? Oh, man. So, okay. So the way this, this works is you want to get these planted and you give them at least a year to grow, um, sometimes two years. And then uh, the management is either pollarding or coppicing. And most of these that we're talking about will do fantastic with uh, just coppicing, which is every winter – you cut them down to the ground. You might have a stump that's like four inches tall, and it will resucker and regrow. And once once the hybrid poplar, for instance, gets a good uh, good root mass growing, it'll grow 15 feet in a year. So that means you can be cutting it multiple times that year, and you could still end up if you just let one one twig grow a 15 foot tall tree. <laughs> And and some people think, well, that'll that's good for growing a tree. No, that's good for growing fodder because the more it grows, the more leaves it makes, the more you can cut it to feed to your animals. So uh, like the white mulberry, that'll grow, uh, I don't know, four, five feet in a year. Uh, the hybrid poplar grows eight foot in a year. Some of my other uh, packages have hybrid willow that grows like 12 foot in a year. Um, the, the weeping willow, uh, let's talk about that real quick. Um, other than just the beautiful form factor, I, 
I'm I'm with your wife on this. I love the look of Weeping Willows. Ever since I was a, a kid, there was a, a book I loved called Miss Twiggy's Tree, and it had uh, this really cool treehouse in a big weeping willow. And uh, it stuck with me. I, I've always loved Weeping Willows, um, but I love them even more now. Um, they make a fantastic fodder, especially if you're you have like goats and sheep. Weeping Willow has some great medicinal uh, effects with the tannins in the willow that helps to reduce uh, worm loads. So mm. other than it's great food, it also helps with a more holistic approach to keeping your animals healthy and prosperous. White mulberry, uh, fantastic, fantastic protein content. Same with the hybrid poplar. Those are pretty comparable to each other. Uh, but I like to have a little bit of a variety because a well-rounded diet, I think, for any animal is a good thing. I don't but, ever want to feed any animal one source of food, ever. Right, ever. right. You can kill yep. anything with one source of food if it's the only source of food. Exactly, because there's always going to be some little deficiencies with one source of food over another. So that's why I like to have several different things. But, I mean, if you just had white mulberry hybrid poplar and weeping willow or any kind of willow really um then they're going to they're going to meet just about all the needs of that animal especially if you have some some grazing for them then boom you got it all covered so we have a nitrogen fixer here and I want to talk about that in a second but I want to talk about two other things before we move on from these three fodder trees uh the first being a lot of people out there probably thinking well I don't have cows or pigs or goats so I don't need fodder What is your favorite animal for meat production for people in a homestead, and can that animal eat this stuff? Oh, absolutely. Uh, just from the get-go, rabbits are the best at turning any plant matter into protein uh, as fast as possible. I think they're fantastic. Even, I mean, we're talking even urban and suburban environments. You can have these... These fodder trees grown in your backyard, you can grow them. They will look like a hedge. You can grow them just like a hedge, and you get out there and you trim it every other day kind of thing. Um, if they produce a little bit too much, that's great. You take those cut leaves and you put them on a screen rack in the shade to dry, and then you bundle them up, smash them down in a five-gallon bucket or something like that or an old empty feed sack. Um And boom, you've got tree hay stored for the winter. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it just, it's so simple. It's so easy. And, uh, you know, getting started with, with something like this, even, uh, let's say you have a bug out location. You get these planted and growing and you get some, some rabbit cages set aside at your bug out location. Every winter you go up there and you prune everything down so it's maintained and managed. If the stink ever hit the fan and you needed it, boom, it's there. It's ready. You don't have to go to a non-existent feed store sure. to get bags of food because it's all there. You could have bundles and bundles of, of tree hay put up and it's going to store because it's dry. And if you keep it dry, it's yep. going to store like it's hay. It's tree yep. hay crazy as it sounds so um the the other thing i wanted to talk about with this is everybody because i think of jeff lott more than any other person in the world is fixated on nitrogen fixers nitrogen fixers nitrogen fixers 
Right. Chop and drop does not require the, the, the thing you're chopping and dropping to be a nitrogen fixer. And there is no such thing as a green plant without nitrogen in it. Right? So all of these also work in chop and drop systems for people that don't have um, animals to feed fodder to even, let's say, right now, but might in the future and might want to be building those stores up. Because I don't know about you, but when I have biomass in a system, I chop and drop everything. I don't just chop, yep. chop and drop nitrogen fixers. And, oh, my gosh, these are amazing for that. You want to talk about building as much soil as you can with chop and drop. Uh, those nitrogen fixers generally have good protein content in their leaves and stems, and that's what makes them good for chop and drop. I mean, anything works, but if you have a lot of protein in the leaves and stems, then that's even better because that protein, when it breaks down, feeds bacteria and fungi with nitrogen. So the more protein in the leaves, the more nitrogen you're adding to the soil. So, and, and I'm big on nitrogen fixing. I think it's a great thing. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. It's a biological miracle. But we don't live in thin-soiled uh, – well, I do. But we, in general, in North America, we don't have thin-soiled rainforest uh, right. climate, right? We don't – we need is biomass. Yeah. We need biomass and some nitrogen fixing. It's nice, right? We're going to talk about yeah. that in a second. But what we really need is biomass. Like if you could get every one of your neighbors to just, you know, when they rake their leaves up and get rid of them, to bring them to your house. Oh, my gosh. That'd be, be so great. happy. But like you said, when you get a high-protein leaf, yep. uh, a high-protein stem, and you're using that, you're in even better shape. I remember one time I asked my vet because I had a husky, you know, back in the day, and she, the dog sheds like, oh. And I said, what, is there any use for this animal's hair? She said, it's protein, compost it. Yeah. I'm like, you compost it. You can pick all the hair off the dog and compost it. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah like, it, these she are made amazing, a point. Protein. Amazing for chop and drop. Protein makes good compost and good chop and drop. Now, we do have a nitrogen fixer in this package. That's yes. false indigo. You want to talk about that? Yes. Okay, so um, I actually didn't really know about false indigo uh, until. I visited one of my uh, one of my clients several years ago, and she had this really cool lacy leafed looking. It looked like something in the pea family, and I said, "Is that a what is that? Is that a nitrogen fixer?" And he, she said, "Yes." She had them in her raised beds, and she kind of had terraced raised beds because she had a lot of a uh, um, slope on her property. And she said it's her favorite thing that she has ever put in her raised beds. And she gardens kind of a little bit more hands-off, a little bit lower maintenance. And she said she stuck some of these in the ground, and she's been propagating them to grow in all of her beds because it's so fantastic for her garden. And she just has them about every eight feet or so, and she chops and drops that stuff all the time, all summer long. And when you chop it back enough, it loses some of its roots. And when those roots die, it drops that nitrogen, and boom, you get a little nitrogen boost. If you need an extra nitrogen boost, you can just take a spade and just chop a couple feet away from it a couple times in the soil, and boom, now you just dropped all those roots you've, you've for the plant. It. You've root pruned. Yeah, you root pruned it. You've done on a and, you've done on a micro scale what like Mark Shepard does by dragging a plow blade through the ground past bingo. the trees. Yeah, bingo. Okay. 
So, so she, I mean, they make kind of really thick, fibrous root mass. So right around the base of the tree, there's normally nothing else growing because it's dominating that space. But when it reaches out further, I mean, you're, you're growing your fertilizer in the ground and it mm-hmm. just keeps building soil fertility from underground up. So it's amazing for that. So, um, I'm, I'm excited about adding that to, to my systems here. And uh, I, I think it's a fantastic plant. I think it should be on most anybody's homestead just for that reason because it's it's hardy, it grows fast, it's amazing chop and drop. I think it works fantastic in any kind of a food forest situation. It is reported to be toxic to some animals. I've had trouble coming up with actually verified um like scientific research that yes it's toxic but there's pl- enough rumors going around that I caution people against putting it where animals can get to it so animals like sheep and goats and horses and cattle sure um but it, in my experience jack with re- having my goats and cows and and pigs and everything uh they normally will just take little nibbles here and there and unless it's the only thing they're eating I honestly wouldn't be too scared with having this in a food forest that I would periodically push uh, goats or sheep through just to kind of thin things down. So, No, I agree with that. I mean, I can't remember who the guest was, but a long time ago a guest on the show said, Jack, you're a hunter, right? I'm like, yeah. He goes, you spend a lot of time in, in tree stands, have you? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, He's like, do you ever see a deer come through the woods, eat something, fall over, or die? I, <laughs> I was like, no, valid point. Yeah, man. So let's let's talk about this. I'll just restate that package. So that is four hybrid poplar, three yep. white mulberry, one mm-hmm. weeping willow, one false indigo, 65 bucks. So you got either the Hansons and elderberry or the, uh, the the fodder tree package, 65 bucks each. One thing on the false indigo, you mentioned that lady propagates it, um, and there's only one in the package. How do you propagate false indigo, and how hard is it to do? All right, so what I'm going to be doing on uh, the website is I'm going to be taking uh, some little snippets. I'm going to shoot a little iPhone video of how we propagate each one of these things. So okay. I'm going to not only sell the the plants, but when you go to the website, you're going to get little snippets of how to take this and make as many more as you want. So – I'm I'm really interested in empowering people to build resiliency and uh and healthy living into their into their ecosystems. Okay, so I mean I, I don't want a detailed uh thing, but I mean you take like, a you is, take is a is cutting seed or cuttings. Okay, you take a cutting, stick it in the ground, and keep it moist, and it'll generally root and grow a new plant. Okay. It, al- it also sends out little uh, runners and suckers, root suckers. So okay. uh, you let that grow for a little bit, and you chop in between the the new little plant and the mother plant and leave it for a little while, and then you can transplant it out. So I'm, there's probably people thinking, well, that fodder tree packet sounds good. The fruit tree packet sounds good. Um, two of those, 65 bucks a piece, that's a good deal. Uh, if you add 65 and 65, you get them 130 bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like a good deal, but they can actually get all of that for $99. That's right. So we won't go through them again because we just did that, but you can get 
everything we've talked about so far, five bush cherries, five elderberries, four popular, three white mulberry, a weeping willow, and a false indigo for uh, 99 bucks. Now, yep. let's move on from there. You put together an expert package. So everything we already said, so we don't have to do that again, or people get tired of listening to it. Um, right. The additions to all of that is... One, we go, well, I guess I should say it because some of them get more. So the same with the bush cherries and elderberries. We go to uh, mm -hmm. four, four hybrid poplars we already had. We go to four white mulberry instead of three, two weeping yep. willows instead of one, two mm -hmm. silver maples, two American elm, two thornless honey locusts, two black locusts, two hybrid willows, and then up to two false indigos. So let's go through some of the yep. stuff we haven't covered yet and why those are in there. So first one I see that we haven't talked about yet, silver maple. What's up with silver maple? Well, I think it's a, it's a beautiful tree. So even for someone that is thinking, you know, I'm just going to get this stuff in the ground established, and I don't know if I'm going to do the whole fodder thing, but I want some beauty. I, you know, I want to make uh, uh, my, my spouse or my significant other happy, or I want to increase the value of the property. You know, almost all of these will do exactly that, just inherently from just growing in the ground. They're going to improve your property values, and they're going to beautify it. But silver maple is one of those that it's it's a beautiful landscape tree. Not only is it, is it that, but it has great potential for fodder. It regrows very well. It makes beautiful multi-stemmed uh, trees. So if you end up coppicing it the first year and then you just leave it go and it just becomes a landscape tree, well, you just created a, a $300 multi-stem silver maple that you would buy at a landscaping <laughs> store. Okay. Um, beautiful tree. Uh, it's really cool in that uh, when there's a, a barometric pressure drop right before a storm is rolling in, the the leaves will kind of flip over and they'll show their silver underside. Huh. Um Another cool little thing about it is most people think you only get maple syrup from sugar maples. Well, that's not true. You just get more syrup ah. per gallon out of sugar maples. Uh, silver maple, you'll get about half as much per gallon of syrup, but it still makes maple syrup, and this grows down into Florida. So if you've kind of got a, a keen... Uh, a, if you want to grow your own maple syrup, then you can do that pretty much anywhere in the USA instead of just up north where sugar maples grow. Awesome. So now let's next one in there. We've got two American elms. Yes, American elm. That is one of those trees uh, unique to the U.S. that has been kind of uh, decimated by a disease called the Dutch elm disease. And there's a lot of work being done. Uh, bringing those back, this is a more resistant variety, and I would love to see this brought back just like the American chestnut. Uh, this is a, a really hardy tree, grows just about anywhere in the U.S., again, makes a great fodder, has a long history with fodder, and uh, I think it's a beautiful tree, and if you keep it trimmed shorter and you keep it coppiced, Uh, that really, really boosts its immunity to anything. It makes most trees very hardy, very long-lived. 
So I think you can get these American elms established and keep them coppiced, then you can end up with a a beautiful little piece of American history and American heritage. Then one of my favorite trees. You've got a couple thornless honey locusts in this package. Yes. Um, so honey locust. That's another one that's been uh, studied. I actually have white papers and links to all kinds of studies on the website. So if anyone is interested in actual data on this stuff or, you know, real proof that this stuff is as good as I'm saying and not just a sales pitch, uh, you can go to the website and find all kinds of links to studies. And this is one that's been studied and does a fantastic job at feeding sheep and goats and cows and uh, rabbits as well. So uh, I do not like the thorned honey locust. And <laughs> I've had I've had several several of my uh, my clients say, well, what about black locusts and honey locusts? I heard they're great. Yeah, they're great. And then I'll go to my truck and I'll pull out one of the thorns from the honey locust. And it's about six inches long and it has thorns on top of thorns. Of course, Li- yes. yes. <laughs> literally thorns growing out of thorns. And if you break it open, there's thorns inside the thorn. Right. I, I, right. I, I, it's the weirdest thing, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. So this is a thornless honey locust, which makes a fantastic tree even more fantastic because you don't have the biggest drawback. Now, the, the pods are super sweet. They're like 30% sugar. So um, they're fantastic for livestock feed. And, man, animals just go bonkers over them. It's, it's candy. So, and if you treat uh, them right, you can make fuel out of them too. Yeah, you could make fuel out of out of the <laughs> pods. Uh, <laughs> ask me how I know, or don't right. ask me how I know, but you can't. Right. I promise you. <laughs> so the the pods. This is this is why I put this in the expert package. The pods will produce seeds that will not produce thornless <laughs> honey locusts. They will produce thorned honey locusts. So just. Beware that if you let this stuff go to seed in a field or something, you're going to have big thorn trees growing. If you mow or graze, you probably won't. I mean, these Correct. things are like when I was in Colorado Springs a few years ago, we saw these huge, majestic trees all over the place. And I mean, these are big, like the, some of the biggest ones I've ever seen, Nick. And mm-hmm. it was early enough in the year they weren't hanging the pods yet. And I was like, What and I, finally I realized like, this is a honey locust, and I mean like so big I could barely get my arms around them big, mm-hmm. and it wasn't like all of Colorado Springs was covered in thorned uh, hun- uh, honey locust. But right. your point is valid, and people do need to understand if you're going to plant that particular tree. So if you get this package and you don't want thorns, you can always plant it and the black locust on your neighbor's property or something. Uh, <laughs> right. So we do have the thornless honey locust, which it's a beautiful shade tree as well. Right. Um, what I like about locust, period, is that fern-like leaf. They're a lot like willow. It's shade, but it's not 100%. And I right. love that dappled shade. So let's talk a little bit about black locust because there's also two of those in this package. Right. So both the black locust and the thornless honey locust, I think, are great additions to uh, if you're going to be trying to get a food forest going. And I know that's kind of a, a hot button topic. People love the idea of the food forest. and I think it's fantastic. This allows you to get kind of more of an overstory nitrogen fixing tree 
that will not completely shade out and outcompete the understory. So it makes it a lot easier to do that with. Uh, I I only add in those those caveats because I don't want to be another Bill Mollison in that <laughs> in that uh, I say hey plant this great tree and they plant it and then 20 years later they're cussing me out because hey we have all these thorny thorns. plants growing. You know what? Screw those Australians. Everything down there has thorns on it anyway. Right. <laughs> you know, come on. <laughs> But, but uh, yeah, yeah, I think I think I think Paul Wheaton overblew that one a little bit, but yeah, pro- probably. Yeah. Paul, Paul, Paul never anything. overblows anything. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So on the black locust, uh, that's another one that uh, that there have been some great studies done on the the fodder potential, and even uh, replacing the the cut and carry diet of of meat goats with exclusively black locust. Hmm. They they grew fantastic and again the the tannins in in the leaf matter actually helped with uh reducing like barber pole worm uh incidents. So I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, and on black I, locust, a couple things I want to add to that is number one, I said if it grows here it'll grow anywhere. I have right. three year old black locusts here that are as big around as my calves, and I've probably got bigger calves than most people's thighs, um, that are freaking 23, 24 feet tall. And there is nothing in the world that grows like that here other than black locusts. That's how tough it is. And the other side of that is we have, like, one of the greatest treats in the world for about three weeks out of the year because they don't all flower at the same time. About a week and a half, two weeks is how long any individual tree will flower for you. And those white locust flowers, I remember the first time I saw you eat, when I told you what it would do, and you're like, really? And I'm like, yep, that's what it is. It's pee, then it's mm-hmm. sweet, and then it's gone. It is the coolest thing. And if you're a beekeeper, for those few weeks that those trees are in flower, oh, yeah. they swarm it. So you've got like a, a short-term edible, because we don't eat mm-hmm. the seed pods off black locusts. That's a no-go. We've right. got a fodder tree. We've got a chop and brock chop tree. We've got a tree that grows really, really tall. We've got a tree that you almost can't kill. We can Full feed animals with it. We can feed our bees with it. So it's it seems like a pretty good idea to have as an addition there. Oh, it's a super powerful tree. I mean, when when we're talking about uh, you know viewing these plants as tools, it's a it's a powerful tool. Well, we got to be careful, me and you. Remember, we we started talking about black locust. At one of your workshops where I co-taught, and we spent an hour and a half on black locusts. I know. So that we'll just say that, and you guys can understand that it is a fantastic tree, and it's added in. And then the last thing added in is a couple hybrid willows. And I imagine there's a lot that's similar to weeping willow there, but different form, different thing we can do with it. Because I don't know about you, I don't really want to coppice a, a, a weeping willow. <laughs> I want it to grow. Right. Well, I, you know, again, I, I, I try to put things in there that will have multiple uses. So if someone wants just a beautiful tree that's going to grow and make something pretty, the weeping willow is going to make a pretty aesthetically pleasing tree. It also makes fantastic fodder. So I tried to add in as many nuances and value into each one of these packages as I possibly could. Uh, now this one, the hybrid willow, uh, again, it's an attractive tree. It'll get 70 feet tall 
and they make fantastic windbreaks. They're so hardy and resilient. The best way you can uh, use these for remediation of uh, like erosion ditches and channels, like in uh, if you have erosion coming up towards a a field fence, it's it's cutting a channel into a pasture, and you're going to have problems with fencing or whatever. You can take these sticks in the winter from this hybrid willow and you can ram a piece of rebar or just a metal pipe or something in the ground and shove sticks of this hybrid willow in the ground about a foot deep and smush the dirt back to it. And you'll have and you can do that hundreds of times around this area that's eroding. And then in the spring, boom, you've got hundreds of erosion-stopping willow trees that are just going to send roots out and create a net underground that's going to hold that soil and stop that erosion. So it's super powerful, really strong, and again, if we're talking about fodder, it's a willow. It's fantastic for fodder, and like I said, that hybrid willow grows 15 feet in a year. So lots lots of vitality, lots of, of leaf matter that you can harvest from that. Well, um, the other thing we can do with that, like you were saying there, you can get those whips going. Yep. You lay those whips down, mm-hmm. weight them down with something, and make sure that that whip, you know, it can kind of even break a little bit as long as you don't completely cut it through and it makes ground t- uh, contact. That entire whip will root and start sending up more shoots. Yeah. And if you want basically a impenetrable hedge, Yep. You keep doing that, and you and that's how they did it back in the day. You weave those willow uh, fawns together, mm-hmm. and you end up with a willow fence, a yep. living fence. And it's it's one of the better trees to do it with. And it also, if you're an artisan or something like that, uh, makes fantastic charcoal. There's people that oh, yeah. grow it just for the purpose of making charcoal. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you were talking about, you know, not just focusing on – the value as fodder, I mean, all these things will make amazing biochar. And if you want to build long-term, we're talking about generational fertility in your garden beds, then you make a whole bunch of of biochar out of the excess branches that you don't need because you harvested the leaves for your animals. What are you going to do with all these branches? Make some biochar, burn it for fuel wood. It makes amazing kindling, so... If you're someone who likes to heat with wood, I mean, the hybrid poplar, for instance, the hybrid poplar grows three times the rate of oak. It has half the BTU of oak. Most people can heat their home with about one acre of hybrid poplar in a coppice system. You could heat your home with one acre. Hmm. That's amazing. That is amazing. You know, I just, uh, you know, to drive home the value here again, guys, so I'm sitting on Stark Brothers, which it's one of my preferred for places to buy stuff. That's why Same. I'm using it, right? They're a great company. Been around for 120 years. Uh, yeah. Stark Hybrid Willow, $18.99 each. I right. mean, how much you get two of them in this package. And I'm going to read through this real quick for people. This is his expert package, 250 bucks. Five Hanses Bush Cherries, five Elderberries, four Hybrid Poplar, four White Mulberry, two Weeping Willow, two Silver Maple, two American Elm, two Thornless Honey Locusts, 
two black locusts, two hybrid willow, and two false indigo for $250. Bucks. And, guys, I mean, that's that's a hell of a deal, man. And that's, that is, I mean, if you just think about any property planted with that, mm-hmm. forget, like you were saying, you can forget the fruit, you can forget the fodder, you can forget the firewood. If you plant that and keep that alive for five years, the exponential value to the increase in property when somebody looks at a property like that is is absolutely insane. And I think one of the things people need to remember about making the most out of trees is a lot of people don't realize how much space they have if they start looking at their property line. Right. You know, I mean, I only have a small, you know, half acre or whatever. Do you know how freaking many linear feet there are around? It changes because the dimensions change, but there's a lot of damn linear feet around a half acre, let alone an acre. That's right. Yeah, that that edge. And, you know, I don't like neighbors. I don't like seeing them. (laughs) These things make neighbors go away. Yeah, especially the willows. Right. You can make neighbors plum disappear. That's right. There's a meme on Facebook. I'm sure you've seen it, but the guy's got like giant evergreens all the way around his house and one little clearing in the middle of his house is in there, one little road going in. And it's mm-hmm. like when you're absolutely done with everybody's shit, that's, right. that's what willows do. When you're done with everybody's shit, plant willows. That's right. You know, we're talking about the just the aesthetics. The hybrid poplar and the thornless honey locust, they have amazing fall yellow color. Oh, I yeah. mean, they just they have beautiful color in the fall. So that's yeah. something I don't I don't get very much of around here in Louisiana is we don't get those Vermont fall colors. No. But you add a whole bunch of these around in your view sectors, then boom, you got some beautiful fall color. Awesome stuff, man. So kind of talk about like Where do you want to go with this next? Like, what are some of your plans, uh, and, and when do you think you'll start having, you know, Ferguson Original product available? Oh, yeah. Okay, so... And when I know, say like Ferguson I said, Original, I don't just mean the stuff you're working on. I mean the stuff you're going to be propagating yourself and stuff like that. Right. Um, I've got uh, a whole bunch of cuttings going in this winter for winter cuttings that will, as long as everything goes well, all be rooted out. And we should have several thousand um, of the smaller fruits like berries, like blueberry, blackberry. Um, I've got a, a friend who has just about every known cultivar of muscadine and fig. Uh, he probably has 30 different types of fig on his property. And some of them are pretty dang rare. And he's just like, oh, yeah, I've got that. I've got that. So I'm excited about that. We'll have a whole bunch of different types of fig, blackberry, blueberry, pineapple guava, which is really fajoa, um, muscadine, elderberry. Uh, I have, uh, I've gotten the Hicks Everbearing, which is a, I'm so excited about that. The, the, my friend Lee, who has all these different cultivars, he told me for, He talked about Hicks Everbearing for years, and when I finally got one, he said it's probably lost forever. And he said that was his one, that was his holy grail. If he could ever get a Hicks Everbearing, he would be a happy person. He'd die a happy man. And I actually have on video, I set my camera up in my truck, pointed towards the bed of the truck, and and mic'd myself up and got it rolling and he didn't know i was videoing it 
and uh, I was able to catch his expression, and he was just dumbfounded. He was he had to pick his job off the floor when I handed him that Hicks ever bring. So I'm going to be propagating that. Um, all of these uh, all these trees that we talked about, and one thing that you know you and I've talked about that I'm I'm really pumped about is this uh, this mint smorgasbord. I'm a I'm a plant nerd. Maybe maybe there's not a big market for this, but I see all of these different cultivars of mint like uh that smell like like the juicy fruit, fruity, tooty, whatever. Um there's I, I found upwards of fifty different cultivars, Jack. And when I when I priced it all out, it was gonna be like three hundred dollars in mints. And I just thought, man, how cool would it be to have each one of those different types of mint? You know, one pot yeah. with every single different of one of those cultivars that I could possibly have. How freaking cool would that be to be able to go out and what well, some of these mints take the place of oregano and basil. It, it tastes like both of those. So you chop this mint up if you don't have oregano or basil growing because it's in the middle of freaking summer and everything's nuked. And your basil is immediately going to flower, so it's bitter. But you want to make some, some you know, red sauce for your, for your spaghetti or whatever. Boom! Chop up some of this mint because it's just loving the summer heat. And there, you got the flavor of fresh basil and, and oregano. Um, so, I'm hoping to be able to, have a package where you could get, every single one of those cultivars. In kind of like a clamshell, um, <clears throat> you know those uh, those sampler chocolate boxes where you sure. open it up, you've got everything labeled like that. That would make it actually feasible for me to deliver something to a customer by having it labeled like that. Because I'm not going to stick, I'm not going to write out 50 different plant labels. I mean, sure. I'd spend I'd spend more time writing plant labels than. Than anything else. Grid one one is orange mint. Grid two two is chocolate mint. Grid three three like that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. It makes perfect sense. So I think that'd be really cool. I think a lot of people would actually like that. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm just being a, a dumb plant nerd, but I think it'd be really fun. Now having like multiple varieties of one thing is like amazing. And mint's a great. I mean, you say you're a plant nerd. I've done entire podcasts on mint. There's there's a there's a there is an episode I couldn't tell you what number it is but it's called Mint the plant everyone could can and should grow. All right? So, yeah, I mean, it, the thing about mint is it's easy to propagate. It's <clears throat> as long as you don't let it get like completely dried out, it will always come back. Um, right. people worry about it being invasive. I do what I feel here, invade, please. Whatever <laughs> something will right. grow, grow there. Uh, but yeah, I think it'd be really cool. I, I actually have some thoughts on that. We'll talk about offline on 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 uh, maybe skinning that a little differently. Um, I do have one for you here. It has nothing to do with plants directly. Um, I, I told you, and I, I doubt you heard the show I did this week because you're a busy guy. But um, I did a show this week on you know feeding the world in in the new the new world of all these things that are. Go, frankly, going really, really badly, uh, population growth, et cetera. And I was like, none of these things that anybody says are going to save the world are going to save the world on their own. Like, people are like, we'll just do hydroponics. I think hydroponics is a great thing. 
if you grow corn with it, you're stupid, right? Like, right. you know, regenerative agriculture. Yeah. And if, you know, like the, I'd say the king of that in the United States is Mark Shepard. And if you went to him and told him you're going to start a thousand acre lettuce farm, he'd tell you you're stupid. And he's right because right, you're going to go bankrupt, especially <laughs> if you're going to try to do it in like Ohio. Right? Like, you just, you're, you're stupid. So, like, all these things have to work together. And the one that, you know, I think people overestimate and underestimate is home production. So, I came up with this idea of trying to design, because I've been really getting into looking at how they manage these vertical farms, which 10 years ago I thought they were dumb. And today you can make an ROI case to me where I go, okay, that's not dumb. That's profitable. I understand. Uh, mm -hmm. But I'm like, well, why can't we do that in the home? So I came with this idea. I have a 48-inch stainless steel rack. They're about 150 bucks. You can get them anywhere in the country, Home Depot, Lowe's, et cetera. So I know anybody can get one. And I want to build a three-tiered system running on hydro that's kind of a combo cracky aquaponics, but it also uses a pump because now I don't have to change out my fluid every two weeks. Mm -hmm. um, don't have individual <clears throat> containers you have to deal with and stuff. Um And you can basically just drain down to the sump and when you do have to change fluid, change the fluid out in the sump, fill it back up, turn a pump on and go back to what you're doing. So here's the problem with that. You're looking for something that's about 48 inches long by 18 inches deep. That's the footprint. Mm -hmm. Problem is that that's really not the footprint for the, for the reservoir on each shelf because either if you try to go to 48 inches, your inside dimension is more like 45 and a half, 46. So you can do that if you scale down your, your long, your, your narrow dimension to like 16 is how much you have if you're going to go in between it. And vice versa. Like you can be wider than 18, but then you got to be about 45 and a half or shorter. You, you feel me there? Because that yeah. inside dimension of the rack. Okay. I found one damn thing that would work, and it actually is purpose built for aquaponics. Made by a company called Active Aqua, and it's a flood table, and it's 22 by 45. I thought wonderful, and I want to do this in a way where I can say, "Here's your parts, go get them." I don't want to mm -hmm. build it and ship it. It's, it's you know, but I want I don't want to do anything so like I have certain tools and abilities that maybe you know the average person may not have access to. So I want anybody to be able to do it. 75 bucks. A piece, $150 for two. I want to keep the construction costs under $600. Bucks. It'll push it, but I could probably do it with the lights and everything else. Shipping for two of them, $349. Gosh. <laughs> Now, there might be a supplier around here. I'm checking into it. But, again, it's an odd item. You know, somebody in Sheboyganville probably won't be able to find one within 200 miles. So that leaves me with a couple options. One is... I looked at something really stupid, simple, like bussing tubs, because they're HDPE, they're mm -hmm. rugged as hell, because they're made to be beat up in a restaurant, and you can get them for like six bucks a piece. Three of them fit the footprint almost perfectly if you turn them long ways. They hang cool. over the edge a little bit, oh, that's great. Well, but now you got to bulkhead the damn things together, right? So now you got a yep. bunch of bulkheads, and I don't trust yep. Uniseals to go in somebody's house. Yeah. Greenhouse, fine. Outdoors, fine. Not your bedroom upstairs in the you know right. back wall. Uh-uh. <laughs> so then if you go, even if you go individually and you like, this is going to be hard for the audience, but if you have three on the top shelf, three on the bottom shelf, and your sump at the bottom, and I'm going to do some things with starts down there at the bottom, that I can work out another way. Even if you did that, you would have six bulkheads 
one cascading to the other and then them coming down to the sump. And then you'd have to have three delivery points with your pump, which gets, you know, using a little bitty fountain pump. Right? So now, and you're using valves to control that, you know how that, ha how that ends up going. Yeah. So I would like one delivery and then a common return. So a single reservoir. The only thing I've come up with, I just think it's, it's so overkill for the application. Two by six frame, plywood bottom, pond liner. You get a pond liner, the small pond liner from Lowe's Home Depot, it's 36 bucks, would easily line two of them. Yep. And then a foam board on top. And I, I, I hate like a big heavy two by six, you know, frame for that application, but I don't see anything else that does it more simplistically because now you go up to your top tray, you deliver your fluid, you set your overflow stack, one bulkhead, and it goes straight down to the next one, and that one goes straight down to your start trays at the bottom, and those can be smaller trays. Because what I want to do, Nick, and I, I just thought you might have some thoughts on this too, is I want to be able to take this so that that top tank is what you're growing in its final week for this week. And then your next one down are your slightly smaller plants, and then you have like your first week when they're itty-bitty, and you can take your two-inch net cups and like cram them next to each other. Mm -hmm. So kind of what I see is instead of pulling the pots out, when, whenever you're going to harvest today, you cut them and you leave the pots in there. You do that to reduce evaporation and reduce you know, potential algae problems because you don't have a big light up there now coming into the hole. So right. let's say you, I could set this up to where if I can get the right size reservoir, I've mapped it out with graph paper and all, I can have about 35 plants or five plants every day or seven plants five days a week, however you want to do it, of almost anything you want that's like a, a pak choy, a lettuce, a spinach, anything like that, right? So, you know, mom or dad goes up, dinner time, cut five plants. There's your salad, your side, whatever for, for the day. And you do that, and on Sunday, you take those 35 net cups out, you dump your plugs in the compost, you take a, your, 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 you know, your next graduator from your second shelf, drop it up to the top one, take your starts, boom, and, st and put 35 plugs in the bottom, drop 35 seeds or whatever you want five weeks from now, and go on with your life. And it's, it's literally five minutes a day and 15 minutes on Sunday. Yeah. But I don't have any other option for this freaking tray other than a two by four freaking box. But you know why well, I'm th why I think that's a good idea? Because the person that wants to build this that doesn't have a lot of tools, if you can't cut a two by four, you're not doing this anyway. I'm sorry, you're not. But you can go to Home Depot. You only need like what do you think? Like I think you could use quarter inch plywood, but I'd say five eighths. Because You're only hold I, I max like the maximum amount of fluid you're holding in one of these trays. If you filled it to the top, which you wouldn't do, is 20 gallons. They're you know they're pretty shallow. You're going to be holding more like 15 gallons of fluid. Well, what about those uh, the the plastic uh, deck boards? Maybe for your sidewalls. Yeah. Then you're going to have to use like a piece of two by four to attach them to because you know. I, I don't know. That, that might work. My, I mean, my other thought was, what would be easy for me? I can take a two-by-six. I can set the gate on my table saw, mm -hmm. zip it, flip it around, zip it, and I can make two three-quarter-inch boards for less than I can buy three-quarter-inch boards. 
Right. Right. So I can make mine a little lighter. A lot of people don't have a table saw. But even if you did it with a 2x6 frame, if you go to Home Depot or Lowe's, the back of the lumber section is a great big freaking, basically it's a, a, a circular saw on a jig. Yeah, they'll cut and it you for could, you. You could go in there and say, I need this piece of 4x8 plywood cut into two pieces of 45-inch by 18-inch or whatever it comes out to that you're doing. And you can come home. If you can build a frame and attach that, drop in a pond line or trim it off, and, and cut a foam board with a razor knife, and install, yeah. a, install a single uh, uh, bulkhead in mm -hmm. each one of those, and you drill your hole for your bulkhead, Put your pond liner in and then just cut around the hole. Throw a little silicone on it, again, because it's in somebody's house. But right. uh, that's that's what I can come up with. I, I love this Hydro Farm freaking tray, but <laughs> <clears throat> what I've learned is if it's over 36 inches and you want to ship it, it's expensive. Right. 36 inches and more than a foot and a half wide. It's just, it gets it goes to freight and it's dumb. Anyway, I just thought I'd bounce that off you and see if you have any ideas for improving it. Because I'm thinking they'll grow microgreens in it too, and you know. Yeah, there's there's not going to be much pressure on the on the sidewalls of that because it's only going to be what an inch of water. Uh, you, you know, in the your 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 top tray, probably you're going to maintain about an inch to an inch and a half. In your second tray, you don't have as aggressive roots yet, so you're going to probably about two inches. You know. Yeah, I mean that's that's a, that's. Almost no pressure at all. None. Get some some L brackets and some some plywood. You yeah. could have a a printout cut list. Here, I don't know what all this means. Uh, build the whole thing out of plywood. Person person at Lowe's, but here's the the printout cut list. This is yeah. what I need. And yeah, then I think they, they charge all... you over a certain amount of cuts, but it's like a dollar a cut or something. I mean, yeah, but it's I mean, all cut square then. Right. You know it's going to be cut square. You don't have to mess with it, you know. If you don't have a table saw, then you don't have to buy a $400 tool to do this. Yeah. You just take it to Lowe's, here's the or Home Depot or whatever. Get it cut, get the L brackets, some short screws, zip zip zip. Put two L brackets on each corner and boom. I'll tell you this is a hack too on the whole plywood and Lowe's thing. So they do, I think it's three cuts for free per board, <laughs> okay? Right. If I need boards cut, if I'm not buying whole four-by-eight sheets to drop into like a floor or something, have you ever carried a three-quarter-inch four-by-eight piece of plywood? <laughs> it's heavy, and it sucks. Yeah. I'll have them cut it for me just so that when I load it in my truck and carry it on my property, it's easier. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, so there's there's some of that. I thought about that too. Doing it all plywood, but it takes a little more skill to build a box out of plywood than a frame out of two by sixes. But you're right. If you said use L brackets, yeah, I just think it actually would. Two by sixes are so stupid cheap. It costs more. That you know, it would cost more, but it'd be easier. Yeah, be a little less hulky, I guess. I don't think right. it's. I don't think it's gonna look any different because all you're doing is. You're going to build the outside dimension. So once it's built, you know, paint it whatever color makes you happy. Right. <laughs> and and gets. I think I'm going to go that way. I just wanted to bounce that off you because I've had this in my head for like three weeks now, and mm -hmm. I've looked at every because the best thing would be here's a tray, buy this and stick it in there. Yeah. You know, and it, there were two trays that went in there. Then that one 
interlocking bulkhead connection would probably be worth doing. But when you put three, you you triple the total number of bulkheads per layer. Yeah. And it just seems, like, ridiculous at that point. The other thing is, and this is for people that are listening to this wondering, like, why are you so fixated on a single uh, <laughs> single container instead of multiples? What you're trying to do with this system, less for the top than the second, the, 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 in, the middle tier, is be as dense as possible. And when you're doing hydroponics and you're putting something like foam board over it, and you have a place where you have two containers coming together you lose efficiency of density. And it can cost you as much as 10% to 15%. When I ran, you know, graphed graph it out, 10% to 15% of your total holes you can plant into. Yeah, and that's that, a lot. That's a lot when you're try, when I'm trying to come up with, you know, uh, this feeds a family of four, a, a meal a day, 365 days a year. And then my other side on this is, and you could play with it, do however you want, but... Since it's basically crack key mixed with deep water, that pump only needs to run maybe 15 minutes every two hours or 15 minutes every three hours. Yep. That's going to maintain a level. And if you put a little cheap $10 aquarium pump into the sump for, mm -hmm. for oxygen and it runs while it's running, you're going to – because I've already – I don't know if you've seen what I've done with crack key already, but it's, it's stupid. It's some of the plants. I, I made a seed starting system just to start plants. And since it's mm -hmm. winter, I did lettuce and stuff like that. I got like 21 days. I'm pulling like hand-sized heads of lettuce out of it. That's nice. With cracky. So I, the only thing this would do is make it better. So I want guys, the reason Nick, you heard Nick and I have this kind of uh, buddy discussion on this one. I thought you guys would find it interesting, but, but, uh, but two, Nick's all things plants. Doesn't matter how they get propagated. Uh, and he's a good systems thinker as well. So with that in mind, We are announcing, I guess, officially today on air. We already did this on Facebook, but Nick Ferguson is returning to the expert council. So yeah. as we wrap up today, can you tell people kind of like the kind of questions you can answer in addition to what we've talked about today? Oh, man. Uh, so, you know, like we talked about, I do the, the systems design for farms and homesteads. So if you're running into trouble with your, your farm, your, your land, your homestead, whatever, and you're wanting some troubleshooting, some how do I how do I fix this or how do I think about this system and and make it better? Like uh for instance someone was asking about uh you know how do I how do I get some good production out of this steep sloping land? Uh those are the kinds of questions, you know General plant questions, propagation questions, uh, lots of lots of homesteading type stuff. Uh, I've done a lot with with raising goats, uh, dairy goats specifically, and rabbits. Those were the two things that I I probably feel the most comfortable with my uh, my experience with those two. Um, I think that's uh that's pretty much it. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think pretty much anybody out there that's going to do anything you're going to spend some money on that is going to involve animals or plants or making semi to permanent, semi permanent to permanent decisions about like where you're going to put a fence on a homestead or something like that mm -hmm. probably should talk to you. And yeah. some of that will fit into something you can do as an expert counsel. And some of that, the other thing that you do for people is consulting. And I think one of the things people don't realize is 
you don't necessarily have to pay Nick Ferguson several thousand dollars to come to your place and stay there for a day. You can also get a lot of information from you relatively affordably by somebody basically doing a video with their phone and yep. doing that consulting remote. Yeah. Well, and the thing is that I've been doing this long enough, Jack, that um, oftentimes I'll step foot on a property and I'll spend 30 minutes just walking around looking at it. And once I have a good feel for what the property looks like, how energy is going to flow across this property, uh, you know, I'm talking about solar, wind, kinetic energy with uh, water. Um, and then we just talk about the the goals. I'll have a pretty dang good fix on what exactly needs to happen. And honestly, that can happen a lot remotely. I've done quite a few remote consults and everyone has been just absolutely completely happy with with their results and and i give them a long list of things that they need to do that's kind of a joke when whenever we're wrapping up they're like every, almost everyone says man well i got about five years of projects now um but yeah i have a uh a page on on homegrownliberty.com where you can uh you can actually click a a link to a video where I basically do a mock property tour of a property near where I live and I say and I just kind of walk through and I show you exactly what you need to do to get me the information that I need and then we set up uh, a phone call or a uh uh like FaceTime or some video chat whatever you're most comfortable with and we look at your your property from Google Earth so we can both be looking at the same thing at the same time and we talk about it. We can both look at your video at the same time kind of thing and we talk, we walk through all the, all the features. We talk about your challenges and come up with solutions and, and a plan for, for troubleshooting and, and fixing the issues that you're dealing with and making it productive and profitable. Awesome, man. Well, hey, I, I, thank you for being uh, with us here today on the show, Nick. I know this was kind of an impromptu thing. I was hoping we could celebrate a milestone together. I thought it was going to happen while we were on the air. Uh, Nick is the co-founder, along with myself and some other people, of uh, the Regenerative Agriculture Group on Facebook. We did that several years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. We run it completely devoid of politics, so there's none of that BS you know, going on or what have you. Uh, and it's become one of the most active and successful groups because of, I think, our policy and the rigorous yes. enforcement sometimes by uh, <laughs> Mr. Ferguson. With uh, we would we if, if you'd been a little less rigorous, we'd be able to celebrate this milestone together. It almost <laughs> happened while we were on the air. Uh, we are sitting right now twenty four thousand nine hundred ninety seven members. Oh so man! While we will end the day, I guarantee you, at least three people will join that group today. Um, with hitting 25,000 members on the Regen Ag Group. We, we missed it by three. I think he probably banned three in the last 15 minutes while we were talking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's why it's such a good group. Well, I think we're going to be talking about this stuff because this is really important to me, and I – bye. <laughs> and to be fair, I, I banned one last night. So, uh, guys, if you want to hang out with me and Nick on Facebook, one of the places you can do that, Regenerative Agriculture Group on Facebook. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, and, again, if you want to engage with Nick for consulting, 
just see like all his great articles, listens to his podcast in the past, stuff like that. HomegrownLiberty.com. If you want to get some of these amazing deals um, that we talked about today, and I, I don't care if you're you know doing the, the the smaller one with the fruit duo or you're doing the expert package or anything in between, I, I defy you to find a better deal online. Uh, check it out. It's at RarePlantStore.com. And if you want Nick to be able to bring you all this other stuff we talked about today, uh, getting these things sold out go a long way to do that. And I guess the other side of that is they're probably going to sell out. Um, if you if you're thinking, man, I really want to do this, don't wait. And I think we should also point out like this stuff's going to ship in in like mid spring. If somebody orders this, it's not going to ship tomorrow morning. And that's right. a really good thing because there's probably people thinking, I I, I I I I don't I don't I don't want this right now. Yeah, right. Ne- neither does do I or Nick. Nobody wants trees, especially if you're north of the Mason Dixon line right now. So you're not going to get them right now. So you have time to figure out where they're all going to go. And I would, if you want to get one of these deals, I would get your ordering. Because I think since we announced this yesterday, uh, they're coming in pretty brisk on the orders, aren't they? Right, yeah. So uh, if you're going to order, I would try and order this week. Uh, today. <laughs> today. <laughs> right, because I don't know, you know, when. Because there's gone, not like a thousand. Gone. There's not like a thousand of these or something. Like it's it's thousands no. of trees, but it's like, you know, depending on some availability, you might cut it off at like a hundred or uh, a few hundred. But it's it's gone. It's gone for the year because. See, guys, this kind of like a bulk buy. We're buying from a huge operation, and we're buying in a huge amount, and right. they do all their shipping in about one month of the year. And the rest of the yep. year, stuff's just growing and being pruned. So it's not a sales trick or something. Like, not only are there only so many, he can't get any more yeah. until next year uh, of these particular things. So if you want it, get it. And, man, I'd, I, I see, I would, if it was me, and I was thinking, I don't know which one I want, I would get the expert package and either gift Or if you're you're mean to your friends, sell your friends all the stuff you don't want to plant out of it. Because, I mean, that's a forest waiting to happen right there. Well, a lot of those things, if you just pot it up and let it grow. That's a good point. We should point that out, too. Dude. You can go get some free big pots from Home Depot, Lowe's, or whatever, or from your neighbor that brought three trees and threw them away, the pots away. And you can plot these up for a year easy. You don't have to put them in the ground this year. Just if you do that, put them somewhere where they get some shade and water the damn things, or you're not yeah. going to be happy. Keep them away from your ducks. Well, I mean, <laughs> I was even going to point out, hey, if you don't want everything in the package, pot it up, let it grow until this summer when people are wanting to buy trees or this fall, and sell them for twenty twenty five dollars a piece. Yeah, while they're then, all nice and leafed out and pretty. Because what we should say, these are all going to come bare root, um, yep. pruned, no leaves on them, dormant, put them in the ground type of situation. And that's the way you want them. Yes, it is. That is the yes, way you want is. them. Because uh, <laughs> people ask all the time, well, why don't you, you know, why don't these companies sell them, you know, in in the the spring or the summer or the fall? Well, You're putting the plant under general anesthesia for the surgery. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't want your guts hanging out when you're awake. Yeah. 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 And that's like that's like what it is for the plants with their roots hanging out in in the air. They don't like that. They will die. So 
it's best it's best to plant them when they're dormant. So I will be shipping uh, in different tiers according to the zone where people live. So gotcha. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna be shipping out probably in March. Awesome, awesome. Well, hey man, again, thanks for being here. And folks, remember we got an expert counsel question show coming up tomorrow. Um, if you send one in for Nick today, you probably won't get an answer tomorrow, but you will get one maybe next week. So we need questions for Nick Ferguson. Any questions for the whole expert council? And again, Nick, man, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, good discussion with Nick. And again, I really think it makes a lot of sense if you want to, uh, to have a future in the future, an opportunity to get a hold of some things that you just aren't going to find anywhere else. Let's, let's back what Nick's doing and get some really awesome trees at a really awesome price while we do it. All right. With that, let's, uh, Let's talk about another way you can help out, in this case, specifically support this show and the work that I do, um, and it's painless. Do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. No matter what you buy, if you shop tspaz.com, you help the survival podcast and the work that we do. And uh, here's what I got for you today, our item of the day. Wild Planet Mackerel Fillets in organic extra virgin olive oil. As many of y'all know, I went full-on keto in August. I kind of took a... I didn't really go off keto, but what I went off of is religious keto and zero alcohol for the holidays. And I'll tell you what happened. Not much of anything. Didn't lose any weight. Didn't really get... I think I came out of it after 30 days, one pound over where I started. Overall, I'm still down almost 40 pounds since I started doing keto. And what we want with keto is moderate protein, high fat, and ultra-low carbohydrates. And as preppers, what we want is things that we can store long-term. And a lot of times when you start thinking keto or even just paleo and storage, it, it gets hard because we're not storing rice and beans. One way you can store high-quality protein and the best quality fat on the planet, and omega-3 specific uh, oils, is with fish. And specifically with this mackerel. Now, Sometimes people worry about with fish, like tuna and stuff like that, mercury. This type of mackerel, these are just smaller mackerel. These are Pacific or Atlantic mackerel. Uh, these aren't your big like predator mackerel like kings. These guys only get a pound and a half to two pounds. Um, this is one of the lowest mercury fish on the planet. It's one of the safest fish you can eat. You can eat this a couple times a week, and you're not going to hurt yourself with mercury. And it is incredibly good. See, when I saw these, I was like, I'll try them. I'll try them. And I expected them to be mushy like a sardine. These taste like the best tuna you can get, not in a can, but in a jar. The really good, expensive tuna that even chefs use, like from Italy. It tastes like that, except it costs like it's freaking sardine price. It's cheap. You can get a whole bunch of them. They store for like years. And they're packed in olive oil, which is the, one of the greatest oils available in addition to the oil that's in the fish. They do not taste fishy. They do not taste like sardines. They are skinless. They are boneless. You can use them a variety of ways. I've even made soups with them. I make salads with them. Check them out. Again, Wild Planet, Wild Mackerel, and anything you buy at tspaz.com helps the survival podcast and the work that we do. With that, let's wrap things up with today's song of the day. Song of the day today is... Um, again, by ELO, we're in Electric Light Orchestra Week, and this song is called Telephone Line. Telephone Line. And, you know, it's about making a call. But what's interesting about this song is this song came out in 1976. This is kind of, 
ELO was still real big at this point, but it was after kind of their peak in the early 70s. And this song is a doo-wop song. It even has the word doo-wop in it. It has to be a doo-wop song if it says doo-wop in the lyrics. Um, in 1976 was not exactly the heyday of doo-wop. Doo-wop's an interesting animal we're not going to skin today. I have a link in the show notes today called What is Doo-wop Music? But it started in the 40s. And it's part of the pedigree that became rock rock and roll. And it's a pretty interesting look at that pedigree chart. See how those music genres came together. If you want to see that, you can go ahead and look at it. Well, here's what I found interesting about this song. And this is one of those ELO songs that I had really... I, I might have heard this at some point in my life. I just didn't remember it. You know, when, when I was looking through the list, I'm like, I'm not sure. And I listened, I'm like, yeah, I think I've heard this, but maybe I don't... sounds like a lot of... But you know, again, this is not the heyday of, of doo-wop. But there's music right in this timeline that was, at the time, really about a 20-year to 25-year throwback to the heyday of doo-wop. And if you think about it, it makes a ton of sense. If you right now are about my age, if someone came out and threw something at you that was really kind of a throwback to really 80s metal music from the, from the, from the 80s, That would be now a 30-year throwback. And you still, that's pretty cool. So, you know, this stuff was less old from its heyday. Because right? there's still doo-wop music coming out today. Let's be clear about that, right? But it was less old in 1976 than, let's say, 1986 is right now to us to make you feel a little bit old today. But there's something else. I mean, and there's a, there's, this is not a unique song in doing this throwback to doo-wop in the 70s. Jackson, Bla uh, Jackson Brown came out with the loadout, Won't You Stay, right? I won't you know, do that to you, but that was, I think, in 76 or 77 as well. And do you know what happened two years after this song came out? In 1978, the original High School Musical. What? Grease. Livy Newton-John, John Travolta. Yeah, this it's the original high school musical in Greece. And it had been a successful Broadway show before they made a movie out of it, by the way. But there was a thing going on in this, the late 70s where people that were you know younger people, teenagers, early 20-somethings in the 50s, wanted something of their childhood But they didn't want it for themselves. With all the turmoil that went on in the 60s and 70s, they wanted it for their kids. Just the same way that people, when 9-11 happened, put I Love Lucy on. I'm thinking today that maybe it's a good time to look for some throwbacks to some simpler times. This is a way, way throw. This is a throwback to a throwback. <laughs> With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tougher, even if they don't.
Shadows are 